Hi, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Catholic Connect podcast. I'm so blessed that you joined us here. I hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you may be in our fine universal church. Well, let's turn to scripture to start our podcast today. And let's go to the Old Testament and uh, one of the great prophets, the prophet Isaiah, chapter 10. Quote, Woe to those who decree iniquitous decrees and the writers who keep writing oppression to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their right, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. What will you do on the day of punishment in the storm which will come from afar? The words from the prophet Isaiah from chapter 10, verse 1 through 3. I thought a real timely passage from scripture because we bring in a friend of our podcast and a host of a podcast of his own, called Crown and Crozier, our good friend Patrick Brown. It's been a year since he last came on our podcast. We had such a great time last time around. I thought, hmm, who can we talk about or who can we talk to about some of the events around Canada this year from the eyes of a faithful Catholic and Patrick Brown uh, came to mind right away. Uh, again, his podcast is fantastic. Lots of great content, uh, great conversations of consequence that you're really going to like. He's got some great guests and great topics. So Patrick comes on to talk to us today about two of the major events in Canada and the Catholic Church's involvement with that. First, the Freedom Convoy. Obviously, maybe a lot of you are like, what does that have to do with Catholicism? And maybe that question, if it comes to your mind, is important that you ask that. And that's one of the reasons why I thought we would address it, because we really haven't heard much of a response from the Catholic Church. It's been very quiet on that front. And we know that the issues uh, go way, way beyond just simple border mandates that the truckers were uh, protesting at the time. It's a a lot bigger issue than that. So what is an unjust law? You know, we know St. Augustine's famous quote was, an unjust law is really no law at all. And uh, I think that that's an important um, quote and something that we can ponder and think about, not only in this instance, but in so many other instances as well. But uh, there's so many examples of that, both in Canada, the United States, and in the world How do Catholics approach unjust laws and how can we discern and find out what really is an unjust law and what is a just law, especially when it's uh, brought down to us and imposed on us by a secular government. So uh, an important discussion here with Patrick, really appreciated his insights on this. We also talk about Pope Francis's visit to Canada over this past summer. And we asked the question as we look back in the rearview mirror from uh, over the summer and this visit didn't feel like a typical papal visit. I remember the Pope's visit, Pope John Paul II's visit to World Youth Day in 2002 and uh, all the joy, uh, the um, the celebration of the faith uh, in Toronto and across Canada for his visit. This obviously did not have the same feel. And we asked a question, this papal visit, whose terms was it on? Was it on the terms of the Catholic Church or was it on the terms of the world? And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that. And I think, again, you're going to really appreciate this discussion. Uh, We're talking about things that I don't think are being addressed in the Catholic Church right now. But many Catholics are thinking these things, have discerned these things, but are not exactly sure how to express them to our church community and to the world uh, for various reasons. But I think it's important that we talk about these things. And especially these two events, which are easily the two biggest events in Canada this year, Uh, from the eyes of many Canadians and particularly from Catholic Canadians. So without further ado, this is our final interview and episode of 2022. It's been a 
great year for the podcast. I thank you so much for listening and you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Patrick. We'll see you on the other side of the interview, my friends. Praise be Jesus Christ now and forever. Patrick Brown is the host of one of my favorite podcasts called Crown and Crozier, which I discovered last year. I was so happy about that. And uh, 2021, well, 2022 is here. It's still one of my favorite podcasts. And uh, this particular podcast that Patrick hosts invites leading thinkers to explore how the human experience is shaped by the interplay between church and state and what that means for tackling great challenges of today. Uh, great topics and guests that they have there. So we're very blessed and honored to be joined once again by a fellow Catholic Canuck and our brother in Christ, Patrick Brown. Patrick, great to, to see you and uh, hear from you again. Likewise, Dave. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, thanks for joining us again here, Patrick. It's great. Well, again, I, I love the podcast. I uh, love listening to um, the voices of the Catholic Church, particularly in Canada. We've got some great voices around the world. And of course, we were talking offline about some voices in the United States that a lot of people listen to, which are which are fantastic as well. But always nice to hear from the perspective of a fellow Canadian. We all have uh, our own uh, different issues that we need to tackle in our respective churches in different countries. But uh, always love your podcast, Patrick. So so maybe tell us about how things are going first and foremost with Crown and Crozier, and maybe some of the the topics and the. And the guests that you've had this year, and I don't know, have you learned something new or had a different perspective now from some of the guests that uh, have given to you? Yeah, I'd like to think this year went well. It was only our our second year of being in existence and offering program. We're continuing to learn. We're continuing to enhance the the quality of episodes that we're given to our listeners, and it's been very encouraging. It's always very gratifying when a guest says yes, when you reach out to someone, you put yourself sure out is. there uh, and someone says, yeah, this is worth my time. And uh, it's a little thing, but but it goes a long way. Uh, certainly, as, as I know, you can understand the the time and energy that you invest uh, in, in your cause, um, in your little ministry, in your little nook of the universe. So it continues to be very rewarding. And and from what I can glean, engage from the feedback from our listeners, it, it is for uh, for a modestly growing uh, audience as well. So um, nothing to report, but but good news on that front. In terms of highlights for the year that was. It's probably like picking your children, right? I know it's not easy. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, in terms of highlights for the year that was, I'll say a couple of things stick out to me uh, in terms of, well, one, um, conversations that were just, really fascinating and intriguing for me personally, uh, but also the niche that we try to occupy in the podcast universe uh, and then what we try to give and, and, and allow for our listeners. So in no particular order, I mean, ones that stand out for me, uh, obviously, for better or for worse, one of the major developments and stories uh, in a Canadian context for 2022 uh, was the uh, the Freedom Convoy, uh, the response uh, on the part of many of our fellow citizens to uh, what were viewed as, as very onerous uh, pandemic restrictions uh, and, and that event. I mean, I've, I think I've mentioned before, I, I live just south of Ottawa, so I kind of had a doorstep view uh, of the events that it transpired in the nation's capital. Um, but that made international news, as you know, and it's it's pretty rare uh, for Canada to be in the spotlight for that. So one way or another, that was that was significant, uh, regardless of what your views were on what happened. I mean, that was a major event. 
so we did we did a couple of episodes touching upon that topic. One of which I personally take a lot of pride in. Uh, it, it was no secret that there were many Christians and and some Catholics who participated in the convoy in some measure, in some extent. Um, and a lot of questions were raised around uh, the nature of the event itself, uh, whether uh, people of faith could participate in good conscience. If they could, how should they conduct themselves? Uh, were they protesting against laws that perhaps would not meet the just law test that uh, some of the doctors of the church, St. Thomas Aquinas or, or other church teaching has set out. So there, the event and the restrictions to which the event was responding raised a lot of questions uh, for, for, for Catholics. And I, I felt like it was clear there was an appetite out there for answers uh, for, for Catholics to try and make sense of this. So we wanted to do something to contribute to that dialogue and that effort. Uh, and, and we had a what, what was our most popular episode of the, the year, um, a Catholic defense of the freedom convoy, question mark. That's a question. Can you draw upon Catholic teaching and, and, and defend or justify aspects of, of this, of the event? Uh, and that was, I think, as I say, it was, it was a popular episode. It seemed to be well-received. It, it seemed to be meeting a specific need uh, that was out there on the hearts of minds of, of many mm -hmm. folks. Yeah, it certainly uh, was for sure. It was. Yeah, and and then and then similarly, I think just a couple of other highlights that that spring to mind for me. Um, and linking back to major events, I, I mean, the Holy Father visited Canada this year. Um, mm -hmm. That in itself, that in itself is is always significant when the the Vicar of Christ is stepping foot on your your native soil. Um, that that is consequential in itself, uh, but also the particular reason why he was coming uh, to participate in uh, the process of, of, of reconciliation and the continual acknowledgement and uh, and making sense of, of what happened in the legacy of residential schools in Canada and, and how best to move forward. So we did a, we did a couple of episodes on that. Uh, the most enriching of which for me was talking to a, a priest who's risen to prominence in Canada. His name is Father Cristino Bouvet. You may know him. I think he lives in Cal Calgary, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah mm -hmm. youth, a youth minister in, in, in Calgary. I think he has some diocesan pastoral responsibilities, but he's half indigenous. If nothing else, I mean, something that has something with which I have struggled and which for which I felt there's an absence, an absence or a deficit in the whole conversation and, and debate around residential schools is hearing directly from Indigenous voices themselves. Um, and in particular, what's most fascinating for me is Indigenous members of the Indigenous population in Canada, Canada who still hold on to and still practice their faith, whether it's Christian, Catholic, um, various, various uh, Christian or Protestant denominations. These people exist and they have something to say yeah. and they have a story to tell and too often their voices are drowned out so mm. having the benefit of uh someone like father christino bouvet i mean that, that was that was a highlight uh as i say one of the one of the biggest highlights of the year uh for, for our show uh, and then i think finally just the third third episode that i would draw attention to i mean one of the big stories geopolitically this year was uh the russian invasion of ukraine mm -hmm. and there are many Again, it's one of those things where there are many uh, platforms. There, there's a lot of information flowing out there, and and 
And, and in our show, again, we feel strongly about going to the source. And, and we had the opportunity to speak to a, a Ukrainian Greek Catholic um, uh, who lives in Ukraine. And he's taught at the Catholic unit, one of the major Catholic universities in Ukraine. And uh, just hearing from him what was going on directly. And uh, he's he's a he's kind of a he's a his part historian, part theologian. So he's shed a lot of really interesting light on the centuries of history and complexity and rivalries and disputes that um, are kind of manifesting themselves in this conflict. So that, that's that's a lot right there. But I, when it comes to the things that, that uh, I reflect on most fondly from this year, from from our own little podcast corner of the universe, I, I'd say those three things. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, Crown and Crozier is the name of the podcast. So I encourage all our listeners to to add that to your list and your library for sure. You know, I think that's, you know, I guess maybe one of the responsibilities even of us, us podcasters, no matter how big or small we are in this, uh, in the Catholic space is to make sure that we're, we're presenting the truth. I think that's the most important thing. I mean, cause you know, we represent, well, I mean, our King is the personification of truth and that's Jesus Christ. And we just hear so much, don't we, Patrick, like in the media, there's so much the the, the, the new buzzwords of misinformation and disinformation, well, kind of defined by whatever political side that you choose to take, I guess. And then the other guys, well, they're promoting this misinformation all the time or whatever. And it's it's really hard to cut through all the, the noise and the garbage out there, isn't it? And so important that we go to uh, to reliable sources that can actually give us a perspective that's faithful to the reality of what is happening. And it's even better when they're rooted in the truth of Jesus Christ. So, yeah, there's so many things to go through. And I invited you to come on, Patrick. One, because I enjoyed our conversation so much last year. And I was telling you, it felt like it was just a few days ago we chatted. But it was it was a year ago. It was about this time. Kind of right at the end of the year. So much has gone on in Canada here in the last 12 months, 11 months. And I thought it would be nice to get uh, the perspective. And even for our listeners, just of talking to Canadian Catholics. And we have so many great listeners from around the world. But, uh you know, it's always nice to kind of share some ideas and some perspectives uh, through the eyes of the church and faithful Catholics through the eyes of the gospel. And yeah, this convoy, uh, this freedom convoy, and, uh, and I was telling you offline too, it feels like it was last week and it feels like it was about five years ago, but uh, it was earlier this year. It's certainly when you look at these year-end headlines of what was the story of the year, what was the headline of the year, and uh, most everyone has this at the top of the list and the uh, the ramifications and the context around the the convoy movement itself i mean it's it's like uh, blasting a cannon off in a big rubber room it just it, the ramifications the reverberations of this this movement are still being felt throughout canada for sure and i think even around the world but um like you said you know in the in the catholic church and in that podcast that, uh, that you mentioned when you were talking about the the convoy very good episode i think it was back in may is when you released it at least and um you know, a lot of people in the church didn't really want to talk about it at the time. And even still, there's not a lot of Catholics that really want to talk about it. Uh, of course, there's uh, the ever-present uh, uh, threat of cancel culture over people that are trying to uh, to just to, uh, kind of state uh, their opinion on something that people are maybe a little bit afraid to, to speak out. But it is important that we, we talk about these things from the uh, perspective of the gospel. And uh, when it came to church leadership, I mean, we've heard weird that there were several priests there that uh, were giving you know blessings upon those who were participating 
So it wasn't like there was a total absence of Catholicism from this. Uh, some of the participants themselves were, were certainly Christians, but we even heard a pretty high-ranking uh, bishop, one in particular in Canada, that called it uh, the Convoy of Resistance, which was pretty strong language. But I also saw this one comment online. It was through one of the social media platforms, and it really stuck out to me was uh, that uh, they felt that the the truckers had threw a, um, a lifeline to the rest of the world, and I thought that was quite powerful. So it shows that it was really beyond just the mandates of borders and getting across the border with uh, you know certain medical credentials. It was a, a lot bigger story than that, wasn't it, Patrick? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's so much to say. I don't know quite where to start, but we could talk about it for three hours. Yeah, I mean, just but just on that, but just on that last point, I, I think it is worth emphasizing, and and I try to emphasize this uh, with folks and whatever walk of life I'm encountering, and regardless of what their preconceived notion of the event and the participants is, but in terms of the real story or the actual story or the story beneath the story. One thing that I return to often um, when this topic comes up is even before the trucks arrived in Ottawa, and and, and I'm going to speak mostly to Ottawa. Um, I kind of had a front front row seat view of uh, of the event from that from that vantage point. Um, even before the trucks arrived in Ottawa, I mean, just remember the scenes of not hundreds, not thousands, tens of thousands potentially potentially somewhere in the hundreds maybe low hundreds of thousands but conf- confidently tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands of ordinary canadian citizens gathered on the side of highways gathered on highway overpasses waving canadian flags in my mind those scenes and those images will always be the real story of the convoy yes. because say say what you will about a uh, a three-week-long uh, vehicular occupation of a portion of downtown Ottawa or the blockades at the the two border crossings in, in Ontario and, and Alberta. You know, say what you will about those, and we can talk a little bit more about those. But you cannot deny, you cannot demonize the ordinary folks who went with uh, their flags and their families just to, to, to cheer these folks, to cheer these truckers on, and the re- the reflection of what that signified at that moment. Again, what I try to emphasize to people is the convoy was an expression of too many people being pushed too far by government action that was by that point uh, not just not justified uh, or not justifiable or not or at a minimum to be charitable not fully explained and mm. not consistent. Uh, so I, I think that's the takeaway we have to keep in mind that this was this was the po- this was a good segment of the population having been t- pushed too far for too long. Uh, and, and I think that's important to bear in, to, to keep in mind in terms of wrapping our arms around the story and, and what motivated it and, and what actually happened. Yeah, and, and I think that, uh, boy, I mean, you know, in fairness, I mean, a lot of people said, well, you know, they looked like they were trying to overthrow the government. I shouldn't say a lot of people. There's a few people that said that. Pretty hard to do that or to, to explain that away when all you see is uh, hot tubs and bouncy castles and 
people cooking up hot dogs and giving it to, to homeless folks around downtown. Uh, you know, there there's always going to be, you know, some bad fruit out of any kind of gathering. It doesn't matter what it is. I mean, uh, you know, you look even at, uh, at your own family <laughs> and maybe you're the bad fruit in the family. I don't know the bad apple in the family, but you're getting together for Christmas or Thanksgiving. You know, there might be some problems if somebody comes up and, and shows up to the party, but any kind of movement has um, its poor actors, its bad actors. I think the one thing that was really tough for me, and I think where it was sort of the the point where the people had had enough, Patrick, and that was from our leadership and one Justin Trudeau, um, just based on looking at uh, a certain segment of the population that chose to make a certain medical decision and uh, and calling them racist, misogynist for no reason at all. And I think that, uh, you know, as Catholics, we can look and say, are these the folks that are protesting or in this convoy or have that or in that movement? Are they really doing that? And then you got to say, well, what what does the church say about calumny and bearing false witness against your neighbor? And uh, I think that there's a lot there that us Catholics can unpack and and say, well, you know, what what were the true motives behind this? You know, was it really about health or was it about politics? And we've been seeing a lot of the science leading to a lot of money. And it makes you think that maybe, you know, the, there was a lot of uh, science at play. We always say trust the science. So we hear politicians say that a lot. Maybe it was more about the political science than the medical science. <laughs> and as we sort of, you know, look in the, the rear view mirror in the last couple months, I hate to say it, but uh, it's almost like, it's almost kind of like dancing on the grave of a movement that's, that's on its last legs. Like the, the plot has been lost. But uh, there's still people that are kind of clutching these pearls, aren't they, Patrick, when it comes to, you know, trying to to still restrict people's freedom. And uh, we're still not quite out of the woods yet. I mean, you think even in the United States, I, I don't believe you can, uh, certain folks can even fly across the border without uh, certain identification to, uh, to let them go across the border. So, um, you know, some of these mandates and restrictions, they're, they're still in place. So there's still a story to be told. I think when the the convoy was going to Ottawa, there was certainly a, an element of, hey, you know, we we want to talk to the prime minister. We want to see change in government. What we did see is that there was change in government. It might not have been the change that people were expecting, but if you ask people like Aaron O'Toole and Jason Kenney what the uh, effects of the convoy, uh, the Freedom Convoy were and everything that came after it, uh, they would probably be pretty foolish to say that it had nothing to do with their resignations. So there was definitely movement, and we're still feeling that, I think, throughout our, our country. Yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of thoughts. Uh, in, in advance of this interview, um, I actually went back and looked at, uh, yes, I, I keep a bit of a journal. I, I've gotten into that habit over the over the, the last couple of years. Uh, I find it's fruitful for for prayer and, and spiritual growth and the like. Uh, but but every every so often, I just make notes of what's what's happening, how I'm feeling, and, and the like. And... I probably wouldn't surprise you, but early this year in the, in the January, February timeframe, I mean, I was making a lot of entries in that journal and I was just flipping through the pages earlier. Uh, and I was just struck at how I, how I felt and how so many people felt at that time. And, and I think the best description I can put on it, you know, it's early January, 2022, um, I, I personally felt like I was being squeezed in a vice ever so slowly, ever so harder. And the pressure was getting worse 
and worse and you almost or alternately almost like walls slowly moving in on you mm-hmm. uh when you when you bear in mind uh the nature of the restrictions on freedom of assembly freedom of mobility the specter of job loss your loss of livelihood not being able to provide for your family being demonized for a certain decision that you may or may not make with respect to your own medical health headlines from the media blaring at you amplifying more and more in maybe we should tax these folks who've chosen Mm -hmm. to decline uh, a certain medical treatment maybe we should put them last in line at the hospital if they experience some kind of emergency or condition this stuff that's not fiction this stuff happened and maybe we talk about this a bit later but i think part of um part of the, the the tragedy part of the scandal i would say from everything that transpired is we have not adequately acknowledged and tackled mm. the realities of what happened of what was said of what was done of the fingers that were pointed at a certain subset of the population we have not reconciled with that and because we have not reconciled with it to your point mm. uh, some of the some of the um, uh, some of the uh, the t- the tensions the tensions are going to persist they're unresolved there's there's still unresolved stuff out there and yes. in in part that's because what happened was so scandalous it was so offensive mm-hmm. and i don't think particular and in light in light of what the convoy experienced not a lot of people in leadership uh have the stomach uh, to address head on just exactly what happened and why and what the ramifications of it uh, are um, and, and will be. I, I think maybe, um, you know, kind of talking about what this means for people of faith and, and for Catholics and trying to make sense of all this, and, and I'll put in a plug for that episode we did earlier this year, but, but uh, you know, this, this engaged real questions around civil disobedience, and our faith does have something to say about civil disobedience. You know, you can look it up in the Catechism. It's section 2242. And there are certain criteria that uh, the magisterium of the church has put in place as it relates to, to civil disobedience. And Catholics are told that um, in good conscience, we are, we are not obliged to follow the directives of civil authorities when they're contrary to the demands of the moral order, to the fundamental rights of persons, or to the teachings of the gospel. And I think you had earlier this year many people of good heart, of good faith, maybe of simple faith, uh, but of good faith saying something is off here, something is seriously off, something is seriously wrong. I know my fundamental freedoms and those of my neighbor are being violated, they're being infringed upon. I'm hearing from some people that it might be a reasonable infringement. I feel in my heart of hearts that it is unreasonable. And as I say, the walls are closing in and the vice is gripping me harder and harder. And I I would contend that at that time, it would have been very helpful. And I think it would have been in keeping with the teaching imperatives of church leadership to have shed some light. Um, Among the most disappointing takeaways for me from the whole experience, but particularly being here in Ottawa, where you... I mean, we lived and breathed the convoy more directly than other folks, but you live and breathe uh, the rhythm and life of of national affairs 
more than some other people with, with the parliament on your doorstep. Uh, but just in our in our neck of the woods, it was very disheartening and disappointing in my view um, that our local archbishop was silent throughout mm -hmm. the entire throughout the entire event. Um, his place of residence his place of re his place of residence is, is five five blocks from where trucks were parked. So proximity to the event, um, perhaps being one thing that would have spoken in favor of maybe saying something, but just the nature of what was happening, uh, the fact that, that the local archbishop or no other authoritative representative from, from the body of bishops in Canada, the fact that there was nothing to say, in my mind, spoke volumes. Um, mm. I, I will say, uh, I, I think the most thoughtful Christian voice, um, which I heard being expressed, which is not to minimize others who, who may have spoken up and perhaps just didn't come to my attention, but among the most thoughtful um, Christian voices that spoke up, literally as the trucks were were pulling into the city, I'm not sure if you've ever heard of the, the think tank Cardus. No. It's a Christian, no, okay. it's a Canadian Christian think tank. It's got offices here in, in, in Canada okay. and Hamilton. They do excellent work. We've had a few of their experts on our on our show. I would highly commend them um, to, to everyone in the audience. But there was a, a, one of the members of the leadership team at Cardus uh, put out a you know put out a, a reflection. It was January 29th. Again, the trucks were rolling in, and, and essentially a lot of his reflection and his message kind of boiled down to two things. And he he spoke to to Christians saying, "Look, I I can understand the frustration. I can understand where you're coming from. If you choose to participate in this event, you know, please keep a couple things in mind. Uh, act in a manner that's dignified and worthy of a Christian." Pay attention to your conduct and pay attention to what you're saying, um, and and even even I'm, I'm simplifying you know what the the guidance was in, in this gentleman's um, reflections, but I thought, yeah, I mean, what what would have prevented um, our local archbishop or other bishops or other pastors just weighing in with a message like this? This is this is simple stuff, and so much of our faith is simple and needs to be simple but it's in carrying that it's in carrying that out uh where, where we where we bump up against walls and fall in human nature and things get complicated um but i i thought that was it was very helpful uh it was very helpful to hear a thoughtful christian voice say you know just if you're going to participate act and speak like a christian um and 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 i'll be the first to say there were there was a lot on display during the convoy that was inconsistent with the Christian character. Um, uh, certain flags that were waved with certain words of profanity directed at our prime minister. That's not my cup of tea. I, th I found it distasteful. I, I, I think that would be out of character uh, with the Christian approach to lawful protest and civil disobedience. Um, I wasn't a fan of the honking. Uh, I did sympathize with the residents of downtown Ottawa who had to put up with incessant honking for the first few days. I didn't see the honking as essential to the mission and the purpose of the protest movement. I think you could have done without that, particularly in the early morning and the late night hours. Um, so, I, you know, I had my I certainly had my criticisms um, and misgivings of 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 things that transpired. Uh, another thing in, in particular, um, you know, there are a lot of convoy participants who were chanting uh, throughout the days and the weeks, 
my body, my choice. Uh, and you heard you heard sound bites from uh, the pro-abortion movement kind of being co-opted mm. um, in the context of you know I, I um, you know as it related to mandatory vaccinations. You know, no, it's it's my body, it's my choice. I was very uncomfortable with that. I, I don't want that slogan to ever escape my lips. And I would sure. think it. I yeah. would think. I would think it unfortunate for that slogan to escape the lips of any Christian, of, of any person who takes their faith in Jesus Christ seriously, um, because it's. Uh, I, I mean, in many ways, it's 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 poisonous and toxic. I mean, that's that's the that's the bumper sticker slogan for uh, the the anti life movement. And and yeah. I, I, I never. Is, which is which is kind of funny, Patrick, because this is like anything that uh, any slogan that they come up with, uh, they take it, and make it their own, but it's actually. Not it's not their body and it's not really their choice. Exactly, which is kind of funny, right? It's just uh, exactly, but 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 I understand. And I think that kind of dovetails with uh, kind of just a a larger takeaway, um, which we need to acknowledge and digest from the Freedom Convoy experience. The fundamental question of what is freedom, and Mm -hmm. Christianity in the Catholic Church has a very distinct understanding. Uh, gifted to us by our Lord around what authentic, genuine human freedom is, how it supports human flourishing. Uh, and I'll be the first to say that a a wholesome, authentic Christian understanding of human freedom was not always on display um, by organizers or participants in the convoy. Uh, that doesn't mean that the nature of what they were protesting against was inherently illegitimate or I, I want to put distance between myself and them for that reason. But I, I think it's worth acknowledging um, when we're trying to make this good faith assessment from a Catholic perspective of, of what happened that, yeah, the uh, just the the understanding of what freedom is and, and how it's exercised and what it's ordered to. Yeah, I, I don't think the convoy necessarily um, got that right or there was there were deficiencies and flaws in that regard. Mm-hmm. I don't think that necessarily detracts from the uh, from the reasonableness of the the grievances and the protests um, uh, that that were manifested um, by participants. But these are but these are these are uh, important things to bear in mind and, and and important questions to ask and, and important considerations for us as Catholics. Um, to bear in mind as 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 we're as we're assessing the event after the fact, and 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 I'll just say I know I'm being repetitive here, repetitive here, and perhaps a bit harsh, but it would have been nice um, if these types of um, it would have been nice for, for this types of for that for that type of question and answer uh, to have been helped and facilitated by uh, by members of our of our ch- of our church hierarchy, and and I, I lament the fact that. That it wasn't. I think it was a lost opportunity because the the church, the teaching of the church, had a lot to offer here. It really did. Um, That's a great as, point. As it, as it does on everything. Well, here's a thought, and it's not just to the directed at the the freedom convoy and and maybe the the lack of action on the part of Catholics generally. I mean, we're part of the body of Christ. We need to we need to act as well. But the lack of clarity on certain issues, um, we're just not very loud. You know, and, and even when there is a time to speak, it just doesn't seem like we have anyone to speak to give that that clarity. And, and we're not reinventing the wheel. We've been given this gift of faith by Jesus Christ. It's been handed on down to us from the apostles to the to the bishops. Um, the continuity of our, our faith is beautiful. We've got scripture. We've got the catechism of the Catholic Church. We've got the magisterium. 
But when you when you lack moral clarity on something, when you don't take that opportunity to to make a statement on behalf of Christ and the church, of which we all belong to and we're all called to belong to, sometimes you get people of goodwill, Patrick, that are 95% there, 90% there, 80% there, whatever, but they don't have the fullness of truth of Jesus Christ. No one's there to to lead them kind of to that that finish line, to get them that that true clarity of mind, uh, the faith and reason portion. Does that make sense, Patrick? When yeah. we're not giving that to people, then we have folks that, that mean well, but their intentions maybe aren't quite as pure as they should be. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I mean... I mean, so much of some. Our life here is a is a continual process of of error, correction, and healing. And if, yeah. and if there are some of our compatriots in error, uh, you know, the, the the greatest the greatest tonic and, and correction for that is is the grace of the Holy Spirit. Um, so it, it it pains me and it upsets me that uh, in in what was. As we now understand, but I think I think I mean we were, it was pretty clear at that moment too, in in late January and February, that this was this was going to be the biggest deal in Canadian public life for this year. Mm-hmm. It, it pains me that um, the 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 corrections um, and and the sharpening and the refinement and the guidance that that our church and uh, and the church's tradition and magisterium has to offer. That those weren't shared, those weren't made available um, in some measure, in some fashion, uh, for the people for the people involved uh, in, in that movement. I, I mean, I I think I mean it's interesting. I think we'd be I think we'd be remiss if we didn't acknowledge that around that same time, there were many Catholics in Canada who were frustrated with the situation in the church and the situation in their local parish and how mm-hmm. restrictions were affecting their fundamental freedom of worship and mm-hmm. and again not to belabor it but that that's another thing that I, I don't think as 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 a church as that specific unique subset of society we have not acknowledged that we have not mm-hmm. come to terms and reconciled with what happened within our own walls within our own parishes mm-hmm. within our own pews over the last two two and a half years um and, and and I distinctly remember, you know, around January and February. I mean, certainly here in here in Ontario, the situation was the situation was not good. There were restrictions on um, number of people who could go to mass. Uh, you still had to register at that time because uh, parish could only accommodate uh, so many people. You couldn't sing. Um, yeah. You ha- here in Ontario, you had to wear a mask. I mean, our, our archbishop put in place a mask mandate for parishes. That went above and beyond the letter of the law, the provincial authorities, and and again, you're just, there was very little justification apart from apart from sound bites. Uh, so, and then across the river in Quebec, certain places were requiring you know flash your vaccine passport, and then you can get into yeah. uh, the church. And we haven't come to terms with that. We haven't mm. acknowledged that for for what it was, uh, what its effects were. And the the tension and the misunderstanding and the conflict uh, persists. Um, I know a lot of people, uh, as we transitioned into spring, were just grateful for the thaw to come and for all of that to dissipate and and go mm-hmm. away. 
Um, but but I would respectfully submit uh, within our own faith community, um, we haven't acknowledged what happened, and that does not bode yes. well. That does not bode well for for coming to terms and for for reaching some kind of common ground or common understanding of 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 how we ourselves as Catholics navigated uh, this this dilemma and this challenge, and and what it means going forward. Um, you know, just just the fundamental questions of, okay, there was this risk. We responded this way. Did it work? Was it necessary? Was it effective? Were some measures superior than others? What should we replicate going forward? What should we avoid? I mean, Dave, maybe in your vantage point in Western Canada, these conversations are being had um, within your parish and within your diocese. If it, no. it, it ain't happening out here, I can tell you that. And, and, no, and I, it's not. It's really refreshing to hear that perspective, though, Patrick. I think you've said what a lot of people are thinking, but haven't uh, haven't said it at least not as articulately as you did. But you know, you hear the word amnesty. Uh, that's been coming up the last couple of months, especially for people that have been fired to let go for you know, and, and looking you know for over mandates on on uh, medical procedures. You know, you look back and you say some of the things that we went through in our own church, I mean, it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost comical, but you, we got to cry cause it's, it's, it's sad. And I'm not sure what it's like in Ontario and Eastern Canada, but you know, for the most part, having that um, dispensation from attending mass on Sundays for, well, around two years, that was devastating. That when you think of, even like some of the stories of the saints, I'm thinking of St. Charles Borromeo who went through an actual real plague in Milan and the life of the church never stopped. If anything, it amplified by a hundred times because all the political authorities and leadership took off. They went to their cottages, they were gone. So it was the Catholic church and the bishops and the priests that were left. And uh, Milan survived because of the the vitality and the holiness of the Catholics that were in town, led by St. Charles Borromeo. So when I think of amnesty, I think that also as Catholics, Patrick, we have to look at a secular, for the secular world too, what is justice for people that have lost their jobs because of these unjust mandates? And now even, you know, it's the, the evidence is really starting to accumulate that you know, they, they were unjust um, dismissals from certain jobs, whether that was government or from uh, public sector uh, or sorry, private sector um, employers. But there's also that bridge in the church that we need to, to address as well. And the fact that I think our leadership and the laity as well, but we look to, to leadership for, for help on these things is that it was deemed a non-essential service. You know, a church is something that you do on Sunday and, and that's all you do. And then the rest of the week, you better be abiding by whatever the secular norm is of the time, whatever T-shirt you need to wear, or whatever button you need to wear, whatever slogan you need to repeat, and your workforce. Um, I think it's really important that we have that conversation within our own church. Looking at the numbers, people that aren't coming back to parishes, we know that a lot of parishes have suffered a lot financially, uh, especially, but also just with attendance. We've seen anywhere from 10% down to half the congregation showing up now. What can we do as Catholics to 
I guess, reignite our faith, especially in the Eucharist and the sacraments, going to confession again, Patrick, those are all things that we really need to zero in on. And how can we encourage not only our brothers and sisters in the church, but also leadership to, to put a new, a premium on that, a, a priority on those, the sacramental life. Yeah, that's the million dollar question. Um, I mean, the first thing that, the first concrete thing that comes to mind is vote with your feet. And mm-hmm. what I, what I mean by that, I mean, here, here where we live in just, uh, just around Ottawa, we actually alternate, um, between two parishes. So one Sunday we'll go to, uh, the local country parish, which is just 10, 10 minutes up the road. Uh, the next Sunday, uh, we go to mass in Ottawa at the parish run by the fraternity of St. Peter, which offers the liturgy in the traditional Latin form. We love both parishes. We want to support both of them. The, the priests are wonderful. Uh, so we alternate between the two. Where I'm going with this is uh, the number of parishioners at those two parishes over the last year and a half, two years, has increased significantly. Mm-hmm. And it's no surprise that that happened because of what the pastors did uh, in response to the pandemic and, and the restrictions. They bent over backwards to make the sacraments available. They did whatever they could um, to make mass available. Um, at the at the Latin Mass Parish in Ottawa, uh, there was a time there when when restrictions were very severe. You can only have ten people in the pews. Uh, the pastors made Mass available. I'm just going to say ten times a day. That that could be in, oh, somewhere wow. in that range. So it was like somewhere mm-hmm. like five mm-hmm. to ten times a day during the weekday, and that was your slot. But it was mm-hmm. those kind of gestures. It was those kind of actions Huge. where the priests were sending a signal: the sacraments matter, yeah. and we want to make them available. To people and it's no surprise that the the parishes my, my experience talking with friends not just in the city not just in the province but elsewhere in canada and the united states my sense is that parishes which took those steps they saw growth they they saw mm-hmm. more people come and uh and and th- that hasn't worn off i mean the people who've come have, have largely stayed that, that that's my sense and and some of that growth is attributable to people voting with their feet. Um, you know, if 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 you're not if the sacraments aren't being made available to you, if they're not being shown to be important, um, then you're going to go somewhere else. You're going to go somewhere where they are and where their essential value and importance is emphasized in practice. Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean by 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 voting with your feet. And, and then I, I think. A second concrete measure is is speaking up, and and this is a, this, this is a lesson that I need to internalize and practice more, having more courage. But don't let this go. I think that's what I would say. Yeah. Like, don't let this go. Don't let the last two years go. Mm-hmm. A lot happened, and we need to be honest and, and and talk about what happened and why and what we learned from that. And I I think we we cling by we need to cling by our fingernails. Um, to this to this issue and 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 its effects until it's properly acknowledged and and until there's proper proper um, proper conversation and, and and proper reconciliation, we need to learn something. Um, we, we we seriously need to learn something as as a society as as a church community. So we can't let this go. And which is not to say, uh, you know, you know, it's it's open season 
say and do whatever you want. No, we need to be constructive. We need to be charitable. Um, but, but we can't let it go. And and I think it's incumbent upon uh, parishioners, priests, um, members of the episcopate. We need to, we need we need to talk. We need to reflect, and we need to discern what makes sense for moving forward in light of the lessons and the experiences of the past couple of years. Uh, so I, I would I would say th those would be my two little slogans in terms of a course mm -hmm. of action. Vote with your feet and and don't let this go. Let's put them on some coffee mugs and sell them, Patrick, to everybody. <laughs> Oversimplifying something, but I, I do think that a return to the sacramental life, going to confession, living in a state of grace, the belief in the real presence of the Eucharist, gives us clarity in every area of our life, right, right, uh, Patrick? Because you think even in, in mass during liturgy, we say that, you know, from Jesus Christ, from whom all good things come, all good things come from Jesus through the Eucharist, through the Catholic church, through our priests and our bishops and from our lady, it all comes through us. So when we live a sacramental life and we're living life in a state of grace, we have this amazing clarity that I know that because when I, it took me a while, my a knucklehead like myself in my life to, to realize this, but as I started growing, closer to Christ, participating in the sacraments as I got into my 20s and 30s. A lot of things that you can see in the outside world, all that garbage, all that noise out there, things become a lot more clear when you're living life in a state of grace and looking at the world through the eyes of the gospel. So uh, yeah, great, great message there, Patrick. I, I couldn't agree more with you. Yeah, and, and um, maybe uh, maybe maybe a third thing, just to add in quickly, you know, and keeping with the we, don't. Do don't, we have room on the t-shirt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't let this go. Uh, yeah. I mean, that applies to this to the sacraments. Um, yeah. I'd like to think that, you know, one thing that I'm I'm trying to do better after the last two 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 and a half years is going to daily mass more often. Um, mm -hmm. it, the experience of the last two and a half years taught me that I was taking mass for granted. Ah, uh, me too. And uh, I need to I, I want to be there more often. Trying to build it more into my my weekly routine, going once or twice. Mm. But uh, yeah. Don't let the sacraments go. Bring them closer. Uh, don't yeah. take them. Don't take them for granted. I think that's one of the imperative lessons of the last two years. Uh, yeah, that's powerful, Patrick. That's yeah. really good stuff. Let, let's yeah. not take it for granted. Good stuff. There's one other event. See, Patrick, we could do a Joe Rogan style podcast. We go for four hours here if we want. Uh, great, great conversation here. The other event that you know what? Why don't we touch base on this because it does relate a little bit to attendance in Canada and the Catholic Church, how it's affected the Canadian Catholic Church, and that is the papal visit to uh, to Canada. It came to Edmonton next uh, next door to, to me here and made a few other stops along the way. I've asked a few people this because it, it, got, it got a little bit strange. As the date got a little bit closer, we saw the rhetoric in the secular news about Catholic Church bad, everything else okay. You know, it was it was getting kind of nauseating, actually, on my from my perspective. Um, where did you come out on the whole truth and reconciliation, the visit of the Pope, which was I thought it was it's always neat to see your a Pope in your own home country, but given the circumstances, it didn't quite have the same feel as when Pope John Paul II visited. Uh, he he came a couple times. Uh, the latest would have been I guess two thousand two for World Youth Day. Uh, didn't quite have that same feel, did it, Patrick? Uh, yeah, where did you come out on on all that? Well, it's it's interesting you say that, and and this topic follows on the heels of our our conversation on on the other topics just now. I I think there's a bridge between those two, and in my view, it's 
again, you know, the, the most important things in our faith and the most important instructions from our Lord were not complex. They were simple, but we trip up over the simple stuff. And the bridge between the two is, as Catholics, as the church, do we do things on our Lord's terms, on our faith's terms, or do we do them on the world's terms? Mm. And I, I think as it related to... Um, the pandemic and responding and the restrictions. I think, unfortunately, particularly here in Canada, too much was done um, on the world's terms. Mm. We we acted and we responded um, on terms set by the world and and not by the church and sacred scripture and tradition and the like. Mm. And I think you can apply that to aspects of the Holy Father's visit as well. Um, don't get me wrong. I, I want to preface what, what I'm going to say with with a genuine, sincere statement and acknowledgement that I am, and it's not for me to position myself as an authority, but I think it's entirely possible and I think it's entirely likely that the visit of the Holy Father yielded fruit for some people, many people. I don't mm -hmm. know how to quantify it, but I think, mm -hmm. it, I think it yielded and will will yield fruit. Uh, perhaps for our indigenous Catholic brethren, uh, perhaps for indigenous brethren in other Christian communities, perhaps for non-practicing um, indigenous uh, fellow citizens, perhaps for for non-indigenous uh, fellow citizens. I think fruit will be yielded, and I think it was yielded. All, all that being said, among the things to bear in mind, much, not all, but much of the, the pressure and the impetus for the Holy Father's visit was a call to action from the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. And, and I think, unfortunately, sadly, one way or another, that set up the visit to occur, quote unquote, on the world's terms, on, on mm -hmm. someone else's terms. Um, and which is not to say that the, that the papacy cannot be a constructive counterpart or interlocutor with other nations, with other non-state actors uh, in, in, a, in a joyful, virtuous kind of way, uh, which is not to say that the Vatican always has to set the itinerary for every visit outside Vatican City. I'm, I'm not trying to go there, but I think, I think in, the larger, in the larger lens, so much of the Holy Father's visit was, was, was dictated and the parameters were established by worldly forces. Um, and, and I think that played out over the course of the the visit, and and I can't help but think that it it, it detracted um, or it, it it limited the fruit that could have come from that. Mm -hmm. um, so that that's yeah, um, and I, I can speak to that in, in a in a little bit more detail. Um, but there there was just so much uh there was so much kind of tangible and intangible th throughout the holy father's visit where you just thought this is this th this is the world that there's worldly stuff interfering here like there, mm -hmm. there is there are there is a, a, a noble purpose to what's to what's happening here um but but i just think of uh you know i think of the mass i think it was the mass that happened in saint anne de beaupre in quebec or or another church in quebec where you had protesters who made their way to the front near the altar and unfurled a banner. Um, and that was just one of many instances. This is about rescinding the doctrine of discovery. You know, they, they, they 
they've unfurled this banner in the middle of a, a service or in the middle of mass. And that was just one of, of a few things that happened where I thought, I think there's an absence of good faith here mm -hmm. uh, from some people. And that's because this is being done uh, under the terms of the world and, and not under the terms of a, of a genuine pursuit of, of quote unquote truth and reconciliation. It certainly made a lot of Catholics feel very uneasy, didn't it? Um, and I, I, you know what, I, which the so, Holy so Father, I'm, I'm gonna, it's not I'm easy gonna, for him I'm, too. I was just going to interrupt. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like in the grand scheme of things, that's okay. You know, uh, we, we can be made to feel uneasy, and mm -hmm. I, I'll I'll say this: um, not a lot of my. Well, I'll say this: not all my friends or or acquaintances or family members share this view. I will say this though, I am grateful for having learned more about residential schools in Canada. I, I am grateful for the the proverbial stones that have been uh, overturned for information um, and and uh, for information that's come to light around uh, the existence of residential schools, why they were set up, uh, how many students attended them. Um, and and the like. I mean, I, I went to I grew up in Toronto. I went to Catholic school my whole life. Uh, you know, elementary school in the Catholic school board, private school for, in high school. I went to a Catholic university in the United States, and I really didn't hear much about residential schools until the last I'll, I'll just say ten years or so. So there was a gap. I mean, the, this was not well known. It wasn't. It wasn't well understood i mean particularly in provinces in canada that didn't have a lot of residential schools i mean a lot of them were out west a couple in mm -hmm. couple in quebec couple in eastern canada but not not many in ontario um so certainly just from kind of a central canadian perspective i i i'll admit i am i'm thankful for having learned more about them and i'm thankful for the truth and reconciliation commission having brought that to light i'm thankful for the attention um that the holy father's visit helped put on the issue I'm thankful to have learned more and to and to continue to educate myself. Um, but but there is there is so much there is so much uh, there's so much willful distortion around this issue, mm. um, which, which I fear, um, which I, I I fear the Holy Father's visit um, did not help alleviate, and I think it actually might. Uh, Either I inadvertently may have may have fed. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, partic particularly the clumsy remark on the Holy Father's part on the flight back home around how residential schools were were tantamount to genocide. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I kind of did a massive face palm when I heard yeah. when I heard that, and I thought you've just yeah. spent you've just spent three or four days, three four or four or five days here trying to do some good work, and then on the flight back overseas, oh yeah, this is this was all a genocide. Uh, um, and back to, to too much of this just, just being done on the world's terms. Um, and and mm -hmm. I, I think the last thing I'll say before pausing is in keeping with that theme, you know, I, I paid really close attention to the statements that the Canadian Conference of Catholic Bishops were making in the lead up to the event uh, um, and, and the, you know, the initiation of a special fundraising campaign um, by, by Catholics in Canada, all, all that stuff. And, and I gotta say, there was there was so much from those statements, and there was so much uh, from the lead up to the event and the event itself. I found myself questioning 
do we as Catholics in Canada, do we really believe that the mm. best solution for genuine truth and reconciliation is making the mercy and the love of God available to everyone? Do we really believe that the best solution here is bringing more people, Indigenous and non-Indigenous, to Christ and to his church? Because I, unless I'm missing something, I think that that's what it's ultimately about. And it is a tragedy and a scandal that for some Indigenous people in Canada over the last 150 years, their encounter with people who claimed or professed to be Christian or Catholic, that their encounter with those folks was was not in keeping with Christian teaching and Christian experience and Christian character. That is a tragedy and a scandal. But that doesn't mean going forward, we still don't try and profess and bring the gospel to everyone, Indigenous and non-Indigenous. And that kind of, that fundamental simple proposition, I think has I think has been obscured and, and and I don't I don't think was on full display during the Holy Father's visit leading up to it or afterwards and 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 that pains me and again I think that goes back to um th this whole theme of in seeking to 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 acknowledge make sense and move forward from the legacy of residential schools do we do it on the terms of the gospel or do we do it on the world's terms mm. Well said. Yeah. Truth and reconciliation is a, is a two-way street. Uh, I've said that a few times on the podcast and with various guests. And um, I think it's so important that there there are vo we weren't there Patrick. So there there were some some um, really heartbreaking stories of of abuse from residential schools from our First Nations brothers and sisters. It was it was really terrible. But there's also, there was a lot of good stories too. There's a lot of First Nations folks that belong to the Catholic Church and they're valued members of our church. And here in Alberta, proof of that is we have the Laxinan pilgrimage, which is one of the stops that Pope Francis made while he was on his trip. It uh, routinely draws between 20 and 50,000 people a year, depending on the weather. And it's a true pilgrimage. It's not, you know, a couple days at the beach. Uh, a lot of these uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters from these various First Nations communities from the Northwest Territories, Alberta, Saskatchewan, make long journeys to come to this pilgrimage to uh, encounter Jesus Christ on on a, on a true at a true shrine dedicated to Lac to to Saint Anne. It's called Lac Saint Anne the Lake, and uh, beautiful miracles of healing happening there. Uh, not only spiritual, which is the most important, but also physical healings. If you go there, Patrick, one day you'll have to come visit here and hang out with me. Uh, but uh, they've got crutches on the inside of the, the church there too, uh, as, as uh, various people have been healed from some physical ailments, which is, uh, just is, is so beautiful. But again, you know, there's, there's the, the people that rep misrepresented the church and the ideals of the gospel. And I think that there's, there, there has to be some sort of distinction there. Uh, namely, one Bishop Justin Grandin, who... Um, still on the, the symbol or the insignia of the Archdiocese of Edmonton has snowshoes. Uh, what's one of the symbols of the Archdiocese of Edmonton? What does that mean? Well, that means that Bishop Grandin traveled 25,000 miles by snowshoe to spread the gospel uh, to the northern communities of Alberta and the Northwest Territories. Um, it's safe to say a lot of Catholics, lay and leadership, probably wouldn't give up 
their three dollar latte for the salvation of souls today. And that's just the that's just a fact. It just is what it is. But yet we were too quick to cancel a man who for maybe being associated with residential schools as one thing, but the belief that somehow he had um, some nefarious motives. And that's the reason that we cancel someone like that. And our own church leadership and laity just let it happen like that to someone who's actually been proclaimed a blessed too. So the church has already made a statement on the state of his soul, puts us all in a real bad spot. And when I think of truth and reconciliation too, nothing hinders our, our efforts to, to make sure that we're going down that path. And what I say is lies and deception. And what we saw this past summer, if you recall, that would have been, I guess, summer 2021, right, Patrick, where they had the, was it the 215 or 216, I can't remember the exact number, the Kamloops Residential School. And this summer, there's been investigations, journalists, and even secular media reporting that those graves, there's something missing there. And when we have um, the secular media you know, pushing a, a narrative, and when it just goes unfettered and it just kind of just takes off, it's, it's like wildfire, right? But when the truth comes out and we're asking for an investigation to see exactly what happened at Kamloops Residential School, is it an unmarked grave? Are there graves at all there? And nobody can give us an answer. It uh, doesn't look very good at all. And if anything, it's taking the whole process backwards. And I know a lot of faithful Catholics have big problems with that. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's going to be a struggle moving ahead for us to, to find that, uh, yeah, the, the, the path of truth and reconciliation to me is becoming a little bit more muddied and that's not a good thing. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I, I think that's a really good case study and vignette of, do we do this on the world's terms or we do, do we do mm-hmm. this according to truth and whether mm-hmm. it's, whether it's what's actually under the ground at Kamloops residential school or whether it's some other aspect of the issue, Truth is truth, and the truth will set you free. And there has to be conviction behind those words and and that idea. And and we can't concede, and we, we can't surrender uh, when it comes to defending and exercising and and, and advancing the truth. And that's needed I, for I, our own par- parishioners too, in our own Catholic yeah, Church, right? Absolutely. It's it's really scandalized a lot of people in our church, right, Patrick? Yeah, and and, and, and uh, that premise, and if it's false, I'm prepared, uh, probably like you and any other. Uh, sane-minded person to be prepared for the worst. But yeah. we also need to have evidence of that. And if there's no evidence of that, then we need to find out what the truth is. And then when we, with, if that, because it could go either way, but if it goes that other way and we find out that there was some sort of nefarious motives behind a story like that, we need to get to the bottom of that as well, right? Sure, sure. And I think the, the example you raised of the pilgrimage in Alberta, Again, that reinforces my gratitude for more that I've learned. I, I had no idea that this kind of stuff existed uh, hmm. in Canada before the the attention was being paid to uh, residential schools and be, before it um, adopted a, mo- a, a more prominent profile. So I, I am grateful for that. I am grateful to learn about a similar companion story in British Columbia in Prince George. Uh, there was a woman named Rose Prince. She attended a residential school. She was a student at a residential school. She was indigenous, graduated, came back to the school in a, a staff uh, 
uh, in a staff capacity. She worked there after she attended there as a student. She died in her late 20s, tuberculosis. Long story short, uh, miracles have been associated with her gravesite. Uh, the cause for mm. her for her beatification is underway. This this is you can Google it. You can go on the the website of the Diocese of Prince George. It's all there. I had no idea who Rose Prince was uh, until about two two years ago. I had no idea that it was the Oblates of Mary Immaculate, who in in the very finest Catholic tradition, painstakingly put pen to paper on many indigenous languages. The mm -hmm. preservation of many indigenous languages in Canada is attributable to the work of oblates and other religious orders, which is not to say that there weren't some bad apples amongst the oblates. There were. For sure. and some, some of them have been criminally convicted are, and uh, are mm -hmm. in jail or died in jail. And that was their just, uh, that, was, that, that, that was a just sentence for them to receive. But the oblates as an order have helped preserve indigenous languages. I didn't know any of this before uh, before Truth and Reconcil before the, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and the residential schools legacy became more prominent. Um, and and I, I'll also admit I knew a little bit about Jean de Brebeuf and Kateri hmm. in my youth and and before before the legacy of residential schools became more well known. Uh, the joy of discovering their stories and their sacrifice, and in the case of Brebeuf and his companions their martyrdom, their genuine, again, in, in the finest tradition of our faith, their acculturation and their immersion immersion in the life of uh, the Huron people in, uh, in Ontario uh, at, at the mission. It's inspiring stuff. And it, it, that, that is the best and most beautiful, that's the best in, uh, of, the, of the beauty and the tradition of the church. Um, and, and it was interesting. It was interesting at the very end of the Pope's visit. I was watching EWTN's coverage, and a, a local priest here, a well-known Canadian priest, Father Raymond D'Souza, uh, was being interviewed. And he was asked, "You know, during the Pope's stay, I, I'm not sure, during the Pope's visit. I don't think there was a public statement once that made reference to Bray Buff." Yeah. Uh, and and you think again, why? You know, we mm. have it in our tradition. We have it in our history. Um, where evangeliz evangelization of all peoples, including indigenous peoples, was done in a way that did genuine service uh, to the gospel and the the identity and the reputation of of the church. Uh, this this was evangelization at its best, and that didn't that that didn't make its way into the. Uh, the narrative or, or the, the statements of the Holy Father in Canada. And it doesn't seem to be coloring or informing or guiding statements from, from our bishops um, going forward uh, on the journey to reconciliation. And, and I think that's I think that's a real pity. I think it's a real shame. And we, we should be drawing guidance and inspiration from that, not setting it mm -hmm. aside. Mm -hmm. Oh, great point. Well, Patrick, the time has flown by. Uh, we had, I gave you a list of things I wanted to talk to you about. And we only got on a couple of them. Not surprised. I really appreciate it. I had a feeling insights. that might happen. Yeah, that's okay. Well, hopefully, Lord willing, there's going to be a next time. Patrick, you're always welcome to come here again and uh, chat with, with our, our listeners. Uh, we really appreciate everything you're, you're doing. So remind us again how we can get a hold of you and uh, your podcast, Crown and Crozier. Our website, www.crownencrozier.com. 
follow us on social media. Twitter handle Twitter handle is at Crown Crozier. We're on all the major platforms, Apple, Google, Spotify, you name it, wherever you get your podcasts, we're there. We'd love to have you subscribe. Love to hear your feedback. Give us a rating. We'd be very grateful. Um, apart from that, David, just want to extend my gratitude for the opportunity to be here. I really appreciate it. Wow. There you have it. Patrick Brown. His podcast is called Crown and Crozier. I highly recommend that you follow, subscribe, and drop a review for Patrick and continued prayer for his success and his good work that he's doing there in the vineyard of the Lord. And um, man, great insights. What a way to end 2022. I know some topics that aren't easy to talk about as Catholics, but we need to get out of our comfort zone and address them because we have so many things that are left unsaid, unaddressed, and in the name of justice and the name of charity. We need to continue to talk about these things with other people, bring it to the attention of the public square, and especially through our eyes, the eyes of the gospel and the eyes of being a faithful Catholic. Well, everyone, 2022, as we record this, is coming to a close. The new year is right around the corner. And my prayer and my wish for you is that you will live a sacramental life and be on fire for Jesus Christ because this world needs it. There's so much chaos and confusion in this world. But the cross of Christ, it's enough for us Catholics, and it should be enough for all of us, this entire world. So let's be that authentic witness that Jesus calls us to be by living a sacramental life, going to Mass regularly, receiving communion worthily, and not being afraid to share our testimony and the hope that lies within us, the hope that is Jesus Christ. And of course, a difficult thing to do, but when you do it and you go to confession, to the box <laughs> with a firm purpose of amendment, with humility and a contrite heart. Man, the ramifications of having a good confession will be felt for all eternity. So go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. God bless. I'll chat with you very soon.